Welcome to Canopy Community's Founder Friday, the podcast series that brings real-life experiences and inspirational stories from founders and innovators across the globe. My name's Biraj Nakaja, and together with my co-hosts Tiana Momrov and Pedro Gimerej, we bring you a diverse group of founders from varying industries who've been kind enough to share with us their journeys and what makes them tick. We really hope you enjoy this episode. And so without further ado, let's dive in and get ready to learn. Welcome everybody to uh, the first episode of the uh, 2021 Founder Friday Canopy uh, podcast series. And we are delighted today to be joined by Robert Baldock, who's the Managing Director and Founder of Cluster, the Innovation Brokers, um, who's got some amazing stories and uh, amazing learning for all of us to, to benefit from. So welcome, Robert. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me. And uh, of course, as always, um, from the last series, you guys will already be familiar with the amazing Tiana and Pedro, who are my co-hosts today. Um, Tiana, Pedro, do you guys want to say hi? Sure. Hi. Thank you, Pira. Looking forward to this new season. Fantastic. Hi, Pedro. How are you today? I'm perfect. Fine. Thank you for the invitation and looking forward to another exciting season. And this time, um, hosted by you and hopefully we'll be able to help you. And it's a pleasure meeting Robert also. Excellent, excellent. I'm always envious when we have Tiana and Pedro on the call because I always see this amazing sun shining from Tiana's um, uh, window in sunny Brazil. And then Pedro is also in sunny Portugal. Uh, and I'm stuck in Berkshire here where it's grey and um, not quite raining, but uh, but still it's not quite Brazil or Portugal. But here we go. So Robert, thank you so much for joining us today. Before we get going, I just wanted to make a bit of a disclaimer that we are all working from home at the moment. And so if you do hear any um we're in the middle of homeschooling so if you hear any screaming or crying in the background that won't be me that's probably my wife i was going to say because uh, she's trying to deal with my six-year-old um but we're real people and um we all have um uh, stuff going on so uh, apologies if there are any background noise but without further ado let's get going so robert welcome to the founder friday uh, podcast series um this is all about sharing amazing experiences from um, from founders across the globe. Um, and I know that you have an amazing story, an amazing journey um, up to the point of uh, founding and uh, managing directing um, at Cluster. So um, why don't you give us a bit of a, an overview of Robert and tell us a bit more about uh, yourself. So innovation is my passion. I, from a very early age, I've always looked at things that seemed differently from anyone else. And one, one of the things that marks out innovators from, uh, if you like, the rest of people is that we, we tend to have wear different glasses. Uh, mm. We tend to look at things differently. And so, you know, right from an early age, uh, if, if an idea was put to me, I would always be looking for a different way of doing something. Yeah. And so in, in my genes are a couple of things. One is a, a passion for finding an innovative way through something um, and a passion for knowledge and perhaps the overuse of one word in particular, which is why. Yeah. Um, I probably make a lot of people sick and tired from time to time because I'm, I'm never satisfied with any answer uh, and I keep pushing and pushing and pushing. And that's one of the characteristics you've got to have, I think, to be successful in any business, not just an innovation business. Mm -hmm. You've got to challenge things. Yeah. And not be prepared to sort of go for the standard, straightforward approach. You know, look for something that's novel and innovative. Now, that said, you know, I, I, when I graduated from university, I joined a, a huge company now known as Accenture, 
Mm-hmm. And I uh, rose through the ranks in that company, and I was there for 23 years. And I was a senior partner there. And Accenture, in the time I was there, was basically automating the back office. You can't be very innovative when you're automating a back office. Sure. So I did, I did my apprenticeship. I did my time. But I basically started to agitate uh, the leadership and said, really, we should be looking at the front office. That's where you can make a difference. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're automating the back office, you're cutting costs, you're streamlining you know, the internal processes, but what about the interface with the customer? And so I set up what was very unique in those days, an innovation team within a mighty company that was focused on selling huge multi-billion pound projects yeah. uh, that, you know, over, over a 10-year period. And I started to do some pretty fun things. And this company that I used to work with, Accenture, is, is huge. It's like 400,000 people now. Yeah. I think they've grown to have the, the largest advertising agency in the world now because they've just been acquiring anybody and everybody. Yeah. And they are trying to be a supermarket to the, to the, to the needs of every single large corporate. Sure. You know, everything you could possibly need or want um, is, is, is within our, our means to, 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 to deliver to you. And would you believe it that I started to sort of think differently uh, in, in, in the last 10 years or so? I became more and more convinced that a large, if a large corporate is going to do something impactful and quickly, the last people they should turn to is another large corporate. Yeah. That they really ought to start to, to look to work with some of these more nimble uh, niche firms uh, that were out there uh, who were able to... They were speedboats versus cruise liners. Yeah, okay. That's my analogy. A, cru- a cruise liner or a tanker takes a mile to stop. Yes. So the speed, speedboat can turn, you know, on a, on a sixpence, as we used to say uh, here in England. And so I went... I, I, I guess you could call me a sort of gamekeeper turned poacher. I okay. went from selling what Accenture could do, which was anything to large mm-hmm. corporates, to basically saying the opposite, which is you don't want to work with Accenture and IBM and all those big companies. You really want to start to work with some of these smaller niche companies. Sure. And they said, yeah, okay, we, we buy that, but there are so many around there. Who the hell do we engage with? Yeah. Um, and I, I, started, I went away and started to think about that. And over the course of a few meals and a few drinks with a few friends, I started to develop a concept. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, to those people old enough on this on this conversation to know this, we, we became like an elite dating agency. And I don't mean Match.com or Tinder. <laughs> I, I mean, I know Pedro well enough to know what sort of person I should be putting Pedro to because I know the other person well. Yeah. If I put them together, there's a good chance they're going to get on and whatever. Yeah. So we thought if if we can persuade enough large corporates that they should work with some of these smaller companies, if we can bridge the gap between them not knowing somebody and them not knowing who they can trust and them not knowing whether those small companies can actually help these big companies, mm-hmm. because there's another analogy I use here, oil and water. Small yes. companies and big companies don't mix that easily yeah. unless they've been at it for a while. Maybe we could have a useful role in life. Uh, and so, um, you know, we conceived Cluster as a, as a broker, mm-hmm. uh, a broker in the, in, the, in the sense that you broker meetings 
between, on one hand, large corporates that have complex problems or tremendous opportunities they want to pursue, and smaller niche companies that have a tremendous in-depth capability but don't know people in these large corporates and don't know how to interact with them yeah. in order to frame a solution and then to deliver it quickly. So we broke a meeting between what we call innovation seekers and innovation suppliers. Amazing. And so um, you mentioned there about the kind of the, the supermarket analogy and these large corporates in particular um, being able to deliver almost anything to, to anyone. Um, what was the biggest challenge then to be able to get them convinced that actually you shouldn't be doing this yourself internally and that there are other organizations, as you say, much smaller, more nimble, maybe sort of start up or scale up uh, in terms of um, their journey. Um, and that we should maybe be considering some of some of these organizations rather than the default of, well, but why we can just do that ourselves. Trust. Say you're in a dinner party mm -hmm. and you're bemoaning the fact you can't find a good plumber. Yeah. And one of the other people that identified said, but I've been using Joe, and Joe has done a marvellous job. What are you going to do, Piresh? Yeah, you're going to... You're, you're going to get Joe's telephone number, right? Absolutely, yeah. So one thing working for Accenture taught me was develop and maintain relationships. Yes. Uh, my, 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 my son saw my phone once. He saw that I had 5,000 telephone numbers on it. He said, that's an awful lot of restaurants and pubs and bars, Dad. And I said, no, those are business contacts. Yeah. He said, how did you manage to amass four, 5,000 telephone numbers? I said, over time yeah. and by continuously extending my network and maintaining contact with those people. Yeah. So throughout my career, and I've been mentored by so many great people in my time, um, I, I, was, I was encouraged to develop and maintain relationships and build trust. And so all I had to do was use what I'd done so far to convince the CIO, the CFO, the CEO of a large corporate that I could help them solve their problem because I knew well enough the capabilities of the firm that are in our ecosystem, mm -hmm. know that they were not going to let you down. But as a backstop, we do due diligence on the firms that make up our ecosystem. Yeah. And if they have not helped at least three corporates all the way to success, we won't represent them and introduce them to people we know. Right. And it comes back to the trust piece there, isn't and it? And that's like, how we, yeah. we, we build uh, on that trust. And we speak to those three large corporates that they give us as names. And if we don't get 10 out of 10, mm -hmm. each of those three, we won't represent them. We won't introduce them to our clients. So there's a set of mechanisms that we've put in place uh, that will make sure um, that we're not going to let our clients down. And we have only one success measure, which is 100% success. Right. We cannot accept anything less than 100%. Otherwise, yeah. we're not going to be asked to solve a problem again. Of course. If a plumber does a bad job once, it could be the last time they do a bad job, right? Absolutely. And you're definitely not going to refer or, or call that plumber back again, I guess. So, no, that's fantastic. Tiana, Pedro, please feel free to, to jump in if you have any questions or anything you guys would like to ask. I would actually like to follow up, Robert. Now that you mentioned the, the value of the connections, and we really value the connections uh, within Canopy as well. How the, did the, the networking work back then before the LinkedIn, before speed networking over Zoom, etc.? So when, when you actively want to network, uh, what was the way to do it? 
So I carry a, a blood transfusion card. It says my blood group is cappuccino. <laughs> <laughs> and you met people in cafes. Yeah. Um, you met them in, in the canteen in, in, in your building. And of course, I've not been able to do any of that. Um, you know, it's since March 23rd, date of first lockdown in the UK. But I'm, I'm still maintaining all the time I put into it, all the cups of coffee I drank. Plus, I calendar myself to reach out to every single person I know every so often and just check in. And, and, and part of being successful is to, is, is to basically do a number of important things on a very routine basis. And one of those is check in and ask. I think Sometimes it's a great point because uh, many people complain that uh, the network uh, they make on the networking events never converts. And I guess this is exactly what uh, many people do wrong. They never check in, they never maintain, so it remains just a contact. And don't make every contact. Uh, can you give me some business? Yeah. I, I was, earlier today, I was saying to Bryce, I've done seven video calls already today, right? Uh, with clients. And one of them I hadn't sp spoken to for a while. He's the CMO of a huge corporation. And they've just finished an acquisition. It went live on Monday. We didn't talk about business in the half an hour. We talked yeah. about COVID and the challenges of COVID. But then I said, let's, but let's book one for a few weeks from now where we can talk business. He said, yeah, great. So you have to know when to talk business and when to basically just be developing and maintaining relationships. I think also sort of that, that philosophy of people by people um, and, um, and being active in their mind. So um, don't just reach out to someone when you need something, as you say, reach out and you say. don't know why you're calling them. Exactly, yeah. You know, so, when how are you doing? And, you know, how's your family? And, you know, what's, what's been, what's been happening? How have you been coping during COVID? It's a simple sort of courteous check-in, as you say. I think I love the word check-in there because it's not a business meeting. It's uh, just checking in to say, hi, how are you doing? And by the way, you know, we talk about B2B. There is no B2B. It's yeah. B2P. Every contact is human to human. Yes. It just so happens I work with one company and you work with another. Yeah. I love that. Pedro, have you got anything to add? Yes. Uh, first, just to uh, congratulate uh, Robert. Uh, I love your business, and it sounds marvelous. And you have a great career. And um, as to buying two humans, that's something I, I tend to never forget because uh, fiscal numbers don't buy things, only people do. And uh, it's great when we have a good relationship because it goes with, with us, even if we change jobs, which is nice. Uh, but my question was prior to that on your screening process. You have to find companies that served um, successfully 10 out of 10, uh, at, at least for three times on, on large corporations, which ends up being like a hard place to be for smaller companies or very recent companies, because um, actually you are putting in contact, I would say, in some established companies with large companies. Do you see that as a threat or as part of the business? So we don't work with startups per se because they won't necessarily have a product. They won't necessarily have had the experience of mixing oil and water. Um, and therefore, we tend to work with more established companies. But some of our companies that are in our ecosystem are like 30 people. There's another one that's 1,500, right? But that 1,500-person firm just does one thing, and they do it exceptionally well across the globe. So 
we, we've got a fairly unique business. It's an old-fashioned business. You know, we're not Tinder.com. We're not even Match.com. We're sort of, you know, the person-to-person mm. uh, dating agency. So, yeah, I mean, people always have options, um, but we tend to, we're old-fashioned. We, we believe in the good old trust and who you know and, and what you know. But it also helps enormously that the people on my team have seen a lot and done a lot in their time. Uh, literally, you can't become a member of Cluster unless you've got gray hair. <laughs> <laughs> and you might think that's not very diverse, but there's experience yes. that goes with that. Uh, and so we're, we're, we're deploying some hard-learned experience to make sure that we're, we're, we're matching people with the right people. And from an industry perspective, um, do you cover various different industries and therefore you know that that experience that you, you obtain within the cluster it literally spans across numbers of different industries and areas we, we we span the entire industrial range right and the companies we represent we 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 require them to be industry neutral right and there, there are several reasons for this one of which is if they're industry neutral we can take them to many many places mm-hmm. but also we think people become rather sort of uh, short-sighted in this whole process of embracing. You've got terms like fintech and regtech. I liken that to looking down a a telescope. You look down a telescope, you don't, your field of vision at the end is not very far and wide. You'll miss things happening either side of you. And one of the things about innovation is there are things that are going on in one part of the world or one industry that could be applied to yours. Absolutely. I'll give you a great example of this. there was a company uh, that ran an innovation challenge recently, and they were making these sort of uh, crisps that sat one on top of the other. I won't use a brand name in a container, right? And they were trying to figure out what ways there were taking the oil off the, the crisps so they weren't greasy. And I ran an open innovation challenge, and a violinist won the competition. She suggested using sound waves to knock off the oil. Now, they've been thinking in terms of, you know, tissues and temperatures and shaking. They would never have come across this idea if they just focused on the traditional suppliers to that industry. And that, that is innovation in, in, that a, is in a nutshell. It's applying, yeah. and some innovations are so simple. You know, it doesn't have, you don't have to come up with a complex solution to, to solve a complex problem. Yeah. Um, you just have to be prepared to look far and wide. And, and how, what sort of um, sort of recommendations and, um, and guidance would you give to, to maybe people out there that have, have got some great ideas, but they just don't know what to do with them? Um, you know, given you've got years of extensive experience, both in the corporate world, but also as an entrepreneur yourself, how does one even get started if they've got an idea that they want to, to take forward? I've got a list of what I call Robert's 10 Commandments here. Okay, fantastic. Nicely set up there. <laughs> Thank you. We didn't even discuss this. Before. I know. That's brilliant. <laughs> if you like, I can take you through them. Please do. Please do. I think that'd be really interesting. The first uh, uh, message I deliver to people is focus on someone's key problem or opportunity. Yeah. Human beings will thank you for getting rid of frustration more than they will for bringing something that's going to delight them. Take away pain, you give pleasure. Mm-hmm. Solve a problem, you give a solution. Embrace an opportunity, you give advantage. So try to find something that is causing pain 
frustration to lots of people. The more people suffering the pain, the bigger the opportunity. Yeah. The fewer that are suffering it, the more limited the opportunity. Love that. So that's the first piece of advice. The second piece of advice is develop your solution in conjunction with the people who have the problem. Too many people try to conceive the solution away from the, the, the intended recipient. Mm. Don't just do a prototype and then show it to your customer group or potential customer group. Involve them. Get them involved. Developing. Yeah. Humans can't tell you what they want, but they can tell you whether it's what they want. Yes. Um, so I can't tell you, by the way, I don't know whether this is just a British thing or whether it's pride or just, I don't know, but the number of large corporates that still develop solutions without involving their customers yeah. is a total amazement to me. It, it is mind-boggling, actually, isn't it, given that there's so much experience out there now and so much is based on um, that end-user experience in particular. And, you know, um, I think I saw a stat recently where um, within a number of seconds, people make a decision on whether they're going to continue to use that app on their phone or not, for example. Like if that very first interaction or very first experience with, um, especially in the digital world, if it doesn't suit or doesn't work or sit right with that person, that's it, right? You've lost them. When I was at Accenture, I was notorious. If I, did not, if I received a draft report, if I did not like the first page, I did not read the second page. Yeah. You've got to start. It's a bit like uh, estate agents, realtors will tell you if the walk to your front door is ugly, yes, you've lost a sale already. Yeah, it doesn't matter what's inside, right? Accenture <laughs> used to pay the highest amount of money to their receptionists. Right. Any, any company in any industry. Yeah. Because that was your first point. Yeah, it makes so much sense. Makes so much sense. So you've got to really focus to your point on the very start of the experience. Human beings have very little patience. Yes. Very little patience. Yeah. If I may follow up on that, Robert, because I work with startup founders and uh, one of the struggles I always have is how to make them launch their product sooner because they always want to keep adding more and more features. They want to make it better. And I realize that usually it's because they are emotionally somehow attached to the to, to their product uh, idea and i always feel that it's not ready yet to be like fully shining in front of the others and uh, it's always this struggle uh, between us uh, uh, so I, I would like to hear your experience how do you deal uh, with that and what what would you think is the main reason why the businesses uh, keep delaying this launch uh, to the potential users so humans over engineer everything Take your smartphone. Hmm. I think I read a study that said you use 18% of the functionality of that. <laughs> wow, yeah. Think about your car, right? And all the functions on your touchscreen. So we, we've just got into the habit, in my mind, of over-engineering things. But look at what COVID has forced us to do. Yeah. It's, you know... We got very little notice in the UK that we had to basically close the offices and work from home. So suddenly we had to move our workforces from established workplaces to a home. You know, and everyone's got different levels of bandwidth and mobile phone signal and distractions. London has a big issue, which is flat shares. Hmm. All these people trying to do their company work with other people trying to do their company work in a single kitchen. So that basically said, we have to throw something together. And I'm hoping that several things will survive beyond COVID, one of which is the 80-20 rule. 
you do not need 100% for something to be successful. And, you know, you'll be familiar with the whole notion of an MVP. Mm-hmm. You'll be amazed on, so long as you can show regular updates, what people will accept in the first instance. And we, we represent the firm that did the COVID app in the UK, uh, the second most downloaded app in the UK after Zoom. Wow. Right? And it, they, they worked out the other day, it has saved 600,000 people from getting COVID because it basically works out whether you're in close proximity to someone that's tested positive. They did that in six weeks. Six weeks. Right? But what they put in place was a design that allowed them to keep adding new features incrementally. Yeah. And, you know, if you're developing an app, make sure that you don't develop the app in such a way that the features have to be developed in a certain order and that you can't layer them on without having a knock-on effect. So you have to look very carefully at isolating your components and making them, we call it, give, them, give each of those components an on-off switch. So there are, if you're talking about apps, there are very specific things you need to learn about how to be able to go out with something that's not perfect but will start you off and, and then you just keep folding in new releases. Yeah, testing and learning, right? Yeah, testing and learn, develop. You know, yeah. Develop on the go. That's the company, by the way, developed uh, a global uh, mobile banking app for HSBC. So HSBC is in every country in the world, more or less. So the, it's one app, so it has to be available 24-7. Yeah. They liken maintaining that app to turning off an engine of a plane in flight. You can't have the plane. You can't do that. Yeah. The sky, but you've got to better do it. So and this is the nature of some of the firms we represent. They really know the, the ins and outs of developing things incrementally. Amazing. Um, Robert, um, the story just shared with us is pretty common on real startups. Probably more common in startups that are founded by serial entrepreneurs, people that have exits before. Doesn't this, uh, your, your screening process of you have to succeed first with three large corporations, cut off this uh, huge amount of talent and, and experience uh, that is being cut off just because the new company is not uh, old enough to showcase that, um, to, to pass your screening process? Of course. You know, I, I, from time to time, I wondered if we had, if we should have passed on a company that did not meet our requirements. But what I can't afford to do is have just one of them let one of my clients down. Yeah. Uh, they will, they, if they're good enough, they will survive anyway. They, they, they shouldn't depend on us. We, we augment their efforts to generate business. We are not their 100% sales engine. We're there, to, we're there to give them opportunities with large corporations, with someone that's got a C in their job title, which will hopefully lead to a bigger, faster conversation. I guess in some ways, there's almost like if they have off their own back already generated three successful case studies, then there's already proof in the pudding there that they know what they're doing. They're good at their, their particular um, uh, you know, niche or whatever it may be. Um, and then on top of that, you're adding a, another layer of screening, which just gives you even more certainty, certainty there as well, I guess. So, Brad, before we started this officially, you, I was telling you I had a joke about Stuart. Yes, go ahead. 
<laughs> so I need to hear this. <laughs> I'm going to take notes. I'm going for to take our, notes. For the, benefit, for the benefit of our listeners, Stuart Noakes is the co-founder of, uh, of Canopy and uh, a very good friend of Robert's. So, uh, and he's not on this podcast today, which is, which is why we're, we're more than I happy to hear stories I think you might have got him. a notification now. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead. I'm really looking forward to hearing this one. Very important story, though. Uh, so... What I haven't said yet is that the firms we represent, they've got to basically be solving today's hot problems. Right? Right. It's got to be something that's keeping people awake because otherwise I'm not going to get any time with the people if it's not a big problem. So most of the companies we represent have come to us through recommendation. Only rarely do we go out and survey the world and, and literally work it down to, we need to have this company on our books. Yeah. Anyway, someone said to me one day, I know exactly who it was, you've got to meet this company run by this guy called Stuart. They do testing. And I went, (laughs) boring. (laughs) How the hell can I get anyone that I know on the client side interested in meeting someone that does testing? And then they said, but they do crowd testing. Yeah. Then he had me. Yeah. And that's the start of a beautiful relationship with Stuart. Yeah, absolutely. And it's brilliant, right? Because actually that kind of takes it full circle to what were you saying in terms of listening to the end end user, because the benefit of crowd testing or any crowd type of um, organization is you are involving the end user. Um, actually, um, when I was in the corporate world, um, we, through Stuart, funny enough, <laughs> um, uh, implemented crowd testing into our business. And You've got real users with real mobile phones that are some on Wi-Fi, some on 3G, some on 4G, um, you know, all over the world. Yeah, absolutely. And this, you cannot get any better real user feedback um, than, than something like that. So um, that's, that's really interesting. Uh, I wouldn't to hear. be here right now if it wasn't for that word crowd testing. Crowd testing, absolutely. <laughs> I and wouldn't have been here and I wouldn't be on the school right now. Absolutely. And sometimes maybe it's just that one phrase or one term in particular that, that hooks you, right? Absolutely. So um, I'm really keen to... Go ahead, Pedro, sorry. I'd like, uh, Robert... Your relationship with your clients is uh, ends up in, in, on introducing these companies that you represent, or you actually help them how to interact. Because uh, uh, let me just add this 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 tag. Sometimes large corporations are not ready to interact with very innovative companies to be as kind as I can. <laughs> so does your service um, also uh, include this training on relationships or you just match the guys like, like Tinder and you move to, the, to, the, to another customer? You ask a very important question. Um, one of the skills I got taught at Accenture was helping my clients A, formulate the problem, because sometimes they, they actually were, had formulated the problem incorrectly. And, and B, um, sometimes telling them what they didn't want to hear. I once turned down a client that wanted to throw money at the project because I didn't think the project made sense. Mm-hmm. And I got a clip around the ear from my partner when I did that. But when the client said, what are you doing that for? He, he's just given me the best bit of advice anyone can give me, which is it doesn't make sense to do this. So he gave us another project elsewhere. Um, Einstein once said, if I had 60 minutes to solve a problem, I'd spend 55 minutes understanding it and developing it. Getting the right problem is the biggest challenge before you go to solution mode. And too many people will say, right, I understand, I'm off. 
And so I, we do a lot of work in helping our clients. We, we consult with our clients and to, we basically try to help them shape the problem and try to determine whether we, they're thinking of the right path. That's amazing. And it's, it's so true as well that, 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 that it's not just a simple, here's A, meet B, and then kind of leave it there, right? There's a, there is a, another layer of interaction that you play in, in that relationship there. Now, the second part of the question, I think, was, you know, having made the first meeting, do we go away and, and hope that they drive off into the sunset together? No, um, because some people can't drive <laughs> and some people don't know how to behave. Yeah, And so we, we sort of metaphorically get into a helicopter and we fly overhead and we watch the two parties. And from time to time, I have to drop down in my helicopter, roll up my sleeves <laughs> and talk to the monkeys in the, in the, the scale-up saying, you are talking gibberish. You're throwing acronyms at this person. You're, you're, you're giving them too much detail. And, and, and so, yeah, there's a fair amount of help that we yeah. offer fantastic and, and you're right i think technology moves so quickly as well that these new startups are um are so into that level of detail and kind of the new things that maybe some of these larger organizations haven't yet been exposed to or understand and it's trying to it's a different set of terminologies and vocabulary almost that's used and you're almost the translator promoting solutions yeah than fixing problems problems opportunities. Yeah. yeah absolutely absolutely robert if i may follow up on that i'm really interested in these dynamics between startups and corporations uh, so i would like to know how how it used to be back then at the beginning of your career early days of accenture did it start as a like startup organization that turned corporated or they knew from the beginning they won the corporate setup how did they look at the startups at that time how it is right now in comparison to that and finally how do you think the future of this dynamics will go well you know these gray hairs are not because of genetic problems i'm, I'm old right <laughs> um and so uh i when i worked for accenture the, there was no word called startup right there was no concept. Of course, there were SMEs. And, the, the, it, you know, we're talking now chalk and cheese. You know, the UK, I think the UK has the second highest number of unicorns after, uh, uh, it's got the highest number of unicorns in the whole of Europe. And I think after American China, it's like number three. I would never have dreamed or dreamt of that becoming a possibility. The British have been very good at inventing things, lousy at commercializing them. You know, I can't, I'm, I'm, I'm sort of one of these sort of inventor mad people. I can't tell you how many things have been invented by Brits, but they made no money from them. The World Wide Web was invented by a Brit. He's not, a, he's not the richest man in the world. That's Elon Musk, right? And so in the UK, we've had a phenomenal development. And of course, across other countries as well, of, of startups. So there's been a lot more willingness to embrace these companies than when I started working. It was, it was not even something considered. In my day, basically there was a saying, you never got fired by hiring IBM. My old company Accenture has now got a bigger market valuation than IBM. Wow. So, IBM does not sell the same things as they used to sell those days. That's right. They sold all those businesses. <laughs> Um, so in my day we didn't have startups 
really it was not it was not a serious option now the problem that we're trying to solve is there are so many which ones do you engage with that's where you add your value isn't it that's where we add our value yeah to your earlier point pedro we're bound to miss out on some absolutely bound to um but it's not keeping us awake at night because we we have enough uh, enough companies in our portfolio and all the time people are approaching us asking us to represent them um uh, and you know it it's actually not very likely we will if they're approaching us unless they've been recommended by someone we know and trust so we mm. we're in this trusted world fantastic i'd like to go back to the the 10 points uh, robert actually so we got to, to number one really got two out of ten. how much time we got there so we've got a bit more time um so solving the problems of people as you mentioned that don't go straight to the solutions but understand the problem what's causing people pain and frustration and then you mentioned about listening to the customers and the end users well, involving more than listen involving involving that solution design yeah my third was and and this has got to be almost like the thing that is going to be sounding in your brain every single minute of the day, distinctive and unique, distinctive and unique, distinctive and unique. I have a little test. When someone's doing a pitch to me, I put their hand, my hand over the logo of their PowerPoint, and I say, which company is this? I am astonished and amazed to this day that people don't spend enough time thinking about and proving that they're distinctive, unique, and valuable. You, there are so many people out there. You need to find a way of standing out. And by the way, I talked about having some great mentors in life. Yeah. I'll tell you about an amazing bit of advice I got once, which I've been following ever since. I used to do the conference circuit. Right? You, 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 you'd be on a table. It was the morning. You all had to be on the table at the start. of the, Remember those things called physical meetings? <laughs> uh, you had to be on the table at the same time as everyone else because you couldn't be upping and going. Yeah. And for some reason, maybe I annoyed somebody, I'd be like the last speaker, and maybe the one before lunch or the one before the end of the day. You know, anyone that's done this will know that those are the graveyard shifts. And, by the, and because the organizers were lazy, they didn't pre-review the decks of the prior speakers to make sure that it was like not duplicating. And there was a number of occasions where it would come to me and it was like no point standing up because they'd gone through my stuff. <laughs> so I was, I was just like beating my chest about this with one of my partner colleagues. And he said, it's easy. You have to go in with such a contrarian position, even stupid, that no one could possibly mm. have said the same thing as you. It doesn't have to be right. It just has to be different. And I have been that way all my life since. I've tried to go in on a different angle because then you'll get noted yes, rather than forgotten. And, do you, and I, I assume you're referring to two elements there. One, your actual kind of solution to the problem, but two, also how you get, how, how you, how you get their attention, exactly, how you present yourself as well. Um, I, um, I, I really relate to that. And uh, I, 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 for one, um, always used to not want to go to conferences and things like that in a traditional kind of suit, shirt and tie, because actually you're just going to blend in with everybody else. And, um, you know, the company that I was re representing, we, we were representing technology and why, you know, the, the, the people within our, our business, the culture within our business was not suit and tie. It was more relaxed. It was more casual. And so it almost felt a little bit fake going to conferences 
dressed in a certain way when that's not who we are and that's not how we how we represent ourselves. And that's just a small example, but I think you're absolutely right. Standing out from the crowd and how can you stand out from the crowd? By the way, if, if a time machine ever appears in front of me, mm-hmm. I'm going to go back in history and find out the person that invented the tie. <laughs> I can wear one for 23 years, yes. five days a week. Yeah. Oh. I want to kill that person. <laughs> Robert, if I may, I'm going to join your cause because tie is one of those incredible things in mankind because tie, by, de- by definition, has no usage other than showing off. And by definition, males do not show off. So the guy that actually created and made it uh, acceptable to use is a weird personality in the history of the planet. So um, if you find him, please call me out. I'll be glad to meet him. By the way, I'm also uh, the founder of the Anti-Golf Society. And I know this may not come with, with great pleasure to Portuguese people because of your love of golf. Um, but my, all my colleagues love golf and they use it to develop in business relationships. Again, I had to be different. I, I decided to be anti-golf. Anti-golf. I love it. I love it. Fantastic. So that distinctive and, and unique is, is re- I really resonate with that. And that's really... Out, you know, one of my favorite little uh, pictures I use in a lot of PowerPoint decks is a whole bunch of sheep. There's yeah. one black one. Right. Now, the black sheep has a particular meaning, right? Yes. But it stands out. Yeah, absolutely. So stand out. But whatever it takes, stand out. Yeah. And actually, uh, you mentioned there about the, the use of PowerPoint. Actually, even through that, right, maybe don't use PowerPoint. Use something else, right? There's other ways that you can present that. And I think that's really valuable um, insight for a lot of the uh, the Canopy community who are potentially, you know, doing pitch um, uh, 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 presentations. Don't get me going like on that. PowerPoint. <laughs> no, but just in terms of being that unique uh, uh, and, and distinctive and, and standing out, well, that's really you, valuable. I'll give people a good tip. If they, do, if they want to do PowerPoint, learn about the McKinsey technique for PowerPointing. Okay. Their PowerPoints tell a story. Yes. If you read the top line of every uh, slide, it's a story. It's, it's a continuation of the story. And underneath the top line is the support for that line. For that line. But yeah. basically, tell a story. Yeah, storytelling. So basically, is put up so many words on the slide that people have to read them, yeah. and you're reading them as well. I mean, yeah, there's all sorts of do's and don'ts on PowerPoint. Of course. So once you're once you've stood out from the crowd, you're distinctive, you're unique, and you've added a different level of value. What's what's number four in the process? Elevator pitch. Okay. As well as drinking coffee, I, I, so you build this picture of me, right? I'm drinking coffee. I'm going in and out of elevators, uh, lifts. Yeah. You've got 15 seconds. Cluster helps large corporates solve their most complex problems or embrace their biggest opportunities quickly and certainty with certainty by, by introducing to companies that have solved those problems time and time again. That's it. That's it. Yeah. And there's this, I don't know if you heard of the so what test. Mm-hmm. If you're never quite sure whether you've got it right, keep saying so what until there's no point saying so what because you've got it. Because you get it, yeah. That's brilliant. My point number five is never stand still. Finesse, morph. You know, the world is changing all around us. Adjust, reposition. You know, um, right now we're talking about hybrid working. That brings new opportunities and new challenges. Securing home working, right? uh, uh, ha- collaboration, 
So one of the firms in our, our portfolio are innovation consultants. Now, historically, you'd think the only way you can innovate is by having everyone in the same room. Guess what? COVID stopped that from happening. So for that company not to go out of business, they had to work out how to innovate where everyone was in a different location. They ended up bidding for and winning a project they would never have won pre-COVID, helping one of the largest makers of, of, of confectionery products design new products. They would never bid for this work. They would never have won it because they didn't have a physical presence in the cities where this company had major people deployed. Yeah. So adjust, finesse, morph, never stand still. Yeah, because the world isn't standing still around you, right? <laughs> then in terms of marketing collaterals, the number six is if you're going to invest in one thing, and obviously if you're a pure startup, this is difficult, case studies. Nothing sells better than a case study that says problem, solution, benefits with the name company on top of it. Forget about a, a website that basically sings and dance and, you know, and, and just entertains. That may be fun, but it's not going to sell your work. Mm. Case studies. Um, actually, I've already done number seven, the so what. Number eight I've mentioned already, which is why. Just keep asking why. Why do you want this? Why should we do this? We did a, a project for Bloomberg, and Bloomberg were trying to figure out what should be in the next release of something. And for those people who worked in the software industry, you will know how imprecise a process that is. Mm -hmm. um, what didn't we put in it last year? What are our competitors doing that we've got a match? What are our users asking for? How much time we got left? How much money we got left? Yeah. That is the scientific process that every software product company goes through to determine what goes in the next release or what works. So our company sat down with Bloomberg and said, there's a different way you should approach this. And they said, what's that? And they said, what is the business outcome you're trying to achieve by putting more functionality into this product? Well, we'd like to increase our renewal rate. Yeah. Okay, what is it at the moment? What would you like it to be? And what would be the incremental value of taking it from value A to value B? Okay, so let's look at these things you're thinking about putting in the product. Which of those will contribute to an increase in the renewal rate? Outcome-based inputs. Yes. Focus on the business goal you want to achieve and work back from that. Don't work forward, work back. I've been on some very impactful training courses in my entire life, one of which is to do with the seven principles of highly effective leaders. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the Covey Institute. And the number one thing they teach you is start with the end in mind. And when I went through this course, they, they, they give the essence of the course and they give you a bit of homework for your first night. Mm -hmm. And your homework is you have to write your epitaph for your tombstone. Oh, wow. Okay. Because that's the end, right? That's the end, yeah. There are only two certainties in life, death and taxes. Yeah. <laughs> and taxes might kill you as well. Yeah. <laughs> So I didn't sleep a wink that night because I take these things seriously. Yeah. And I went in the room in the morning with this much written. Yeah. And then it suddenly came to me. And what I wrote in that piece of paper has shaped my life forever. 
I never had to say, I wish. Amazing. And so start with the end in mind and work backwards. Yeah, it really gives you a focus, doesn't it? It gives you a focus, like, what do I want to be known for? And what's um, that, that feeling of no regrets, right? And if you can understand what that is, then you essentially live the rest of your life with, with, that, uh, with that in mind, I guess. So it makes so much sense, of course. So out, out, outcome-based input, you mentioned. Outcome-based input, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. Number nine is now. Do it now. Yeah. Right? Don't put off to tomorrow what you can do today. Think that the world is going to end tomorrow, that you can't delay things. You know, we're in a fast-moving world right now. You know, who knows what it's going to be like going forward? And no one could possibly predict what life and business is going to be like. We can form some, we can postulate some views, but we're entering a hugely uncertain period because we've never been through a crisis like this. Yeah. You know, and it's not an annual, it's not a one-off injection that's going to cure. We're going to have to have this every year. And I guess um, to, to the point that um, I think, Atiana, you made that a lot of startups in particular, you know, may want to over-engineer things initially before deploying for the first time. It's almost like you, you can then miss the boat, right? It's like someone else has already done it. You know, the acronym, keep it yeah. people. Yeah. And, and then that test and learn, as you say, right? Get something out there and then iterate and then iterate and then iterate. But if you wait to have all a fully fledged app with all singing, all dancing functions, you probably missed the boat and someone else has done this, that for you. The same company that developed the COVID app and the, the retail banking app for HSBC has a concept of a walking skeleton. Right. It basically makes sure that signals go from the, from the fingers to the brain to the toes. But there's, there's, it's all bone, there's no skin. Yeah, because if you can prove that the messages get through, then you start layering on the skin and start adding hair color and whatever. So that's how they do it. They develop a walking skeleton first, and then they layer on functionality. Everything else, yeah, it makes so much sense. It makes so much sense when you put it in that term. It makes so much sense, but yet so many people get it wrong, and they still don't kind of work with that with that theory in mind. And again, the last one I've mentioned already, which is develop and maintain trusted relationships. Relationships, yeah. It's all about relationships. I'm going to, I'm going to give you a, an also a couple of freebies. Please do. Um, in my day, if you wanted to get the attention of a chief executive, you sent them a fax. Tiana, you won't know what a fax is. You're too young. Um, <laughs> <laughs> there is the model day equivalent of a fax. Conversation. You're, you're partly there. I mean, um, do you know what these you know what these are designed for? Make calls. Initially, making <laughs> phone calls. What do we use this very very rarely for? Making phone calls. But actually, that's not the answer. The answer is uh, to do something. Um, so you know that even before COVID, inboxes right are just flooded. You send an email to someone you're trying to make do business with. And, and, and unless there's something in it or unless the filter doesn't push you into junk or unless they've got time on their hands, they ain't going to read it. Mm. Guess what they do read? LinkedIn messages. Because they get a notification. That's like receiving a fax. You've got a piece of paper here. It's addressed to you, Pedro. So if you want to get in touch with a prospect or a customer, send them a LinkedIn message. Don't bother emailing them. If I may, text messages work exactly like the same. For one reason, it's something you cannot disable on your, on your cell phone. You always receive text messages. And Unless you, you are, block them on WhatsApp, Pedro. 
You so, can. I, I disable so many things. No, no, no. The question is because of WhatsApp and stuff, uh, the effectiveness of uh, text messages, plain old text messages, actually work because we receive a, a lot less. Everything has to find a way to. It, I used to write operating systems. It's called a supervised interrupt code. You have to basically jump in. You have to catch their attention. In the good old days, it was a fax. Now it's a LinkedIn message or a phone call. Yeah, yeah. But I guess, again, coming back to the, the community and the audience that are listening as well, it's a really valuable piece of um, uh, information and guidance there, I think, because there may be organizations that you're trying to get in contact with, but you, you'll have no idea apart from the name of the person or, you know, um, you're not going to have their telephone number to text them, for example. But you can always friend them on, on LinkedIn and you can always send a message on LinkedIn, for example. What I've also found out, by the way, is if you have an interesting job title or company name, yeah, and you just and you're lazy, and you just ask someone to connect with you on LinkedIn, they will. Yeah, I have quadrupled my LinkedIn contacts just by basically saying connect with me. Yeah, or just ask. Ah, yeah, it doesn't work the other way around, by the way. <laughs> Although I was delighted to to accept Tijana's uh, invitation to connect earlier. Absolutely, personally. absolutely. <laughs> And if Pedro sends me one too, I'll do that as well. <laughs> with no, with no go, message. Pedro. Just, just through no message. <laughs> no message. I'm lazy, but it, but I've got you know the innovation. What's an innovation broker? Yeah, and I think that's that's really interesting. Uh, I tell a lot of my coaching clients actually. Um, uh, so I, I help a lot of people understand what their talents and, and their strengths are. And then one of the exercises I get to do with my, with my clients is to create their new title, but create their new title based on the talents and strengths that they've just discovered about themselves so that you're no longer a product manager. You're something else that's actually telling them who you are from a strengths and a talents perspective. And it's brilliant because you see them light up in terms of, Oh, wow, that sounds really cool and interesting. And as you say, if it's unusual, then people will be interested to find out more. One of the best job titles I came across recently was CCO, Chief Curiosity Officer. Lovely. Lovely. I've got a, um, a contact of mine. Um, he's a general manager for a, a chocolate company called Tony's um, Chocoloni. I don't know if you've uh, ever come across it. And it's fantastic. Um, the culture is amazing, but they all have unique titles. And his title is Chief Chocolate Officer or Lord uh, Tony the Third, or something like that. It's like they all have a very unique uh, title and it's, uh, it's brilliant because again, it just gets you interested and wants to find out more. Um, so uh, I, I completely agree. And that goes straight back to your number three, which is about being different as well. If you introduce yourself with a different title, you stand out from the crowd. That up and link something else I said earlier. I'm reminded the time, I think it was Estee Lauder, there was a new chief executive came in and she basically... Had, had all their team in the room and, and she said to them, so what business we're in? And they said, oh, making perfumes. He said, no, you're so wrong. Mm. We're in the dream business. So you, you need to basically raise your, your, your sites. Above, uh, products can be commoditized. Yeah. Products are bought on price. And sometimes on packaging. Again, you know, I'm old enough to remember where people used to buy a bottle of a bottle of water because of its color and shape and size. It, the, the water was irrelevant. We were buying something different. Yes. To raise your sights above a product, look at what aim or ambition or mission or frustration you're trying to, to address. 
Fantastic. Fantastic. Robert, that's been really, really helpful. And I think, you know, anybody that no matter what stage of their business that they are in, no matter what role or, or responsibilities they have, everyone can learn something from those 10 steps, I think. Um, you know, that can elevate you as an individual, that can elevate you as a business as well. So thank you so much for that. I think that's hugely, hugely valuable to everybody that's listening. Um, just the last sort of five minutes or so, I'd love to dig a little bit deeper into you as a person. So we've understood now, obviously, your, your journey from the 30 plus years in, in Accenture um, into founding um, Cluster and the success that you've had there. I'm really intrigued. I don't know about Tiana and Pedro. Um, I'm really intrigued by the, the uh, motor racing helmets that you have behind you there on, on screen. Um, tell us a little bit more about that, please. I've got a very special one there. And if Tijana doesn't recognize this, or maybe even Pedro, I'll be very amazed. Let's have a look. Yes. The, top, the yellow one, Petrana's. Wow, it's, look at that. It's eight of the centers, right? And it's signed to me by his sister. Wow. Amazing. Who does? That's amazing. Look at it. They're fantastic. How did you have that? Yeah, and you're going to make your Brazilian friends uh, crazy yeah, about this. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. How did you? I'm a, I'm a, racing is in my blood. Um, I, I love, I, I feel the need for speed. When I was at Accenture, I managed to persuade them to sponsor a Formula One team. Wow. And that sponsorship lasted 14 years. It was with the Williams team. Yes. Um, my, my team, thank you. <laughs> and I worked with them very closely, and, I, and I, I was on the starting grid of any race I went to. Wow. Um, and now, though, I have to basically be like anyone else. I have to join a queue and you know <laughs> take whatever space I can get. But in those days, I was very privileged. So my, my passions have been motorsport, motor racing. Uh, I rode a motorbike up and down the Himalayas. I wow. rode one across South Africa through jungles. Um, yeah, I just like two and four wheels. And let's just say I'm not crazy about the fact we're moving to a world where they, the, uh, the, the, neither the car or the motorbike makes a noise. That's a, yes, the electric, uh, electric era. For it, for the, <laughs> unless they can make the noise, uh, the noise sort of artificially, I, I will feel very frustrated. Of course. And I guess your, your journey in motorsports and uh, certainly with um, the sponsorship of the Williams team, uh, it's probably, you've probably got another podcast episode with some amazing stories. Um, a little birdie did tell me something about a story that you had with a, a one Ringo Starr. And I'd love to find out a little bit more about that as well, please. So that's a much younger me with a... British Formula One world champion called Damon Hill. Damon Hill, yes, amazing. Wow. Son, son of another champion. Yes. Absolutely. Son of another champion. So actually this story goes back to the Portuguese Grand Prix many, many, many years ago. And I was with uh, the Williams team. And um, uh, before the start of the race, uh, one of the guys came up to me and said, how did you get here? Where are you going afterwards? I said, well, I, I hired a car and I'm, I'm going back to the airport you know, and, and flying home. I said, well, uh, would you mind giving one of our guests a lift to the airport afterwards? Yeah, sure. Anyway, race was over. Williams won it. Um, Estoril uh, circuit. Um, and I love that part of the world. And um, coming in the race, they said, right, we'll just go and get him for you. It's, it's him over there. And he's got his son with him. And I walked up to him and tapped him on the shoulder and George Harrison turned around. I had to drive George Harrison Wow. From Estoril to the airport. Awesome. He wouldn't let me talk to him about the Beatles. All he wanted to do was talk about Formula One. Formula One. <laughs> I have driven George Harrison. Amazing. Oh, wow. 
That's fantastic. On occasions, I also got to spend time with Paul McCartney as well. Amazing. Not many people that we're going to have on this podcast will be able to say that. So I think uh, what, a, what an amazing way to finish off this podcast. Uh, Robert, thank you so much. Pedro, Tiana, do you guys have any final comments or questions you'd like to ask Robert? I would just like to thank Robert for sharing all of this. It was amazing. Uh, the same year and one... One tip for a startup that is on this progress and aiming to be one day on your list. One tip for them, please. Solve a big problem in a very innovative way that's going to deliver immediate value to somebody. Thank you so much. Amazing. What a great way to finish the podcast. Thank By you way, so I'm much. I'm not, I wouldn't be here if other people hadn't shared with me their lessons, their tips. You know, um, we, we are here because of the help we receive from everybody. Absolutely. I agree. That's a really nice way to think about that. Yeah. Brilliant. Robert, thank you so much for uh, your time today. We really appreciate the, uh, the words of wisdom and the knowledge that you've been able to share. And I'm pretty sure that so many of our listeners are going to benefit so much from those 10 points in particular. Um, what's the best way, uh, Robert, for people to, to find you and, uh, and find out more about you? So basically going to LinkedIn and just put into the message, saw you on the uh, Founders Friday. Founders Friday. Fantastic. There you go, guys. Uh, spoken uh, by a true expert. Um, LinkedIn is the best way to get hold of, uh, uh, of influential people. And uh, Robert is certainly in that category. Send him a LinkedIn message if you're interested in connecting with him. And Robert, thank you once again. Really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Nice to meet you all. Thank Cheers, you. Cheers, guys. Have a great weekend. Have a great weekend. Thank you for listening to the Founder Friday podcast from Canopy Community. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a five-star review on your preferred listening platform and liking and sharing this podcast with your network. Canopy only exists because of the amazing hashtag tribe members who make our community so engaging. We really appreciate their support. If you'd like to join the tribe or have any recommendations for amazing founders or innovators for future episodes, please visit our website at www.canopy.community. So all that's left to say is a huge thank you from me for listening in and obrigado y de breve from Tiana and Pedro. We really look forward to you joining us on the next episode.